0: Media. How can you be an optimist? Don't you follow the news? People sometimes ask me. No, that's why I'm an optimist, I reply, half jokingly, half seriously. I have great respect for journalism. I'm even married to a journalist. Good journalism is one of the finest, most interesting and important things we have in society. Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein's exposure of the Watergate scandal is the jewel in the crown which shows the importance of journalism in society, not to mention all the journalists who risk their lives, sometimes losing them, around the world when they report on corruption, warlords, oppression and crime. With that said, there is a lot in journalism that can and must improve, or rather a lot in the media. Today, it does not give a true reflection of the world we live in. If you form your worldview solely through news reporting, it would be weird if you did remain optimistic. This is Andrea Mitchell reporting live from this city where no one got shot last night. No one was injured. Nothing was on fire. No police reports. Yesterday, people swam happily in the ocean. Not one person was attacked by sharks. It is peaceful and calm. Back to the studio. No news report sounds like that. Ever. No one interrupts regular programming to tell you that everything is going well. Of course, this is understandable. But at the same time, the media's focus on negative events can give us a skewed view of reality. Not because the news itself is wrong or fake, but because the balance between negative and positive events is unbalanced. In Steven Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now, he thoroughly addresses the state of the world. Almost all of the 70 graphs in the book point in the right direction, but not the one concerning the media. The data scientist Karlev Litaru used something called sentiment mining, which assesses the tone of an article or news item. What words does an article contain? words that describe something bad or something good. He did this on all the articles in the New York Times between 1945 and 2005 and saw that the newspaper's reporting became increasingly negative over time. After fluctuations during the 1940s and 1950s, reporting became much more negative during the 1960s and early 1970s. After a slight recovery towards the positive side in the late 1970s, the balance was left generally unchanged during the 1980s and 1990s and became more negative again in the early 2000s, reaching its most negative point out of the entire measurement period. Moving up and down over the years, the trend was clearly towards a more negative approach. In a much larger survey of news broadcasts in 130 countries over 40 years, Litaru saw the same trend. At the same time, poverty in the world has more than halved. The Soviet Union has fallen, the Cold War ended, and dozens of countries became democracies. The world has become more peaceful, less violent, richer and healthier than ever. More children are attending school than ever before in history, and fewer children die at an early age. While this fantastic development has occurred in the world at large and in our everyday lives, media reporting has steadily become more negative. An example of this is the climate. Climate change deserves a lot of attention, and the dangers it poses should be highlighted in the media. The IPCC's reports should be taken seriously, and it is desirable that the media attention around it be massive. Obviously, much of that reporting will be negative, because climate change is a major problem. But the solutions and everything positive done about it should also receive attention. In May 2019, news emerged that up to one million species are at risk of extinction based on a report from the UN Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, IPBES. One significant reason for this is climate change. The report received a lot of media attention worldwide, often with the most negative headlines and angles possible. The report does say that one million species could go extinct, but that this scenario is less likely than other scenarios with fewer extinct species. The reporting did not focus on the most likely scenario, but the most negative. In addition, critical questions were often absent. An attentive and knowledgeable journalist could have looked up earlier reports that delivered similar warnings that didn't turn out to be true. The Global Report of 1980 was commissioned by then-president Jimmy Carter. In it, researchers warned that between one-half and two million species may be extinct by the year 2000. The outcome, according to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's red list, was 872. This does not mean that the new report from IPBES is also incorrect. We are almost 40 years further along, and the research has most likely been improved but it would have been reasonable to ask what was different now when previous reports proved to be so grossly inaccurate. About a month after the warning from IPBES, another report appeared. It was also linked to the UN and came from the UN's top scientific advisor in the Trillion Tree campaign. Thomas Crowther is a professor of global ecosystem ecology at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. His work aims to generate a holistic understanding of the global ecological systems that regulate the Earth's climate. Crowther has estimated the number of trees on the planet, and in 2015 he published his findings in the prestigious Nature Journal. There are a little over 3 trillion, 3,000 billion trees on the planet. The next step was to find out how many trees could be planted and what their impact on carbon dioxide in the atmosphere would be. By using satellite data and machine learning, the world's soil has been analysed based on whether trees can be grown in places and what kind of trees would be best suited there. The result was published in another prestigious science journal, Science. There, the researchers show how a massive tree-planting programme could capture as much as two-thirds of all human-caused CO2 emissions at a low cost. This is way bigger than the next best solution, and this is by far the cheapest, commented Thomas Crowther. You would think that the media, which reports so much about climate change, should give such optimistic news a great deal of exposure, especially considering all the attention given to the IPBES report a month earlier. The research from Professor Crowther shows a big counter to climate change in general, and more trees and forests could also be very good for biodiversity. Warp Institute studied the impact in Swedish media, who are usually very interested in climate issues. The report on tree planting received only a tenth of the space as the report on species extinction, and often with a negative angle and critical questions in the article. Compare the headlines from Sweden's largest news service, TT. UN report, one million species risk extinction. Solution to climate change met with scepticism. Questioning and critical voices are a good thing. But why do we only hear them when it is a piece of positive news and not a negative one? This is a prime example of the negative balance we saw in the study of the New York Times and the world's news broadcasts. The problem is not with reporting negative news, but with balance. Why should a piece of negative news get ten times more attention than a positive one in the same area? There is no rational, journalistic explanation for that. Other parts of the negative bias in the media are easier to understand. Negative events are often more sudden and dramatic than positive events. An aeroplane crash is immediate and is, of course, news that should be reported. The fact that flying has become safer is a slow development over many years. It is only when something spectacular happens that it breaks through like when no one died in a plane crash in commercial aircraft in 2017. That stands out and becomes news. The fact that the number of fatalities in aviation accidents has steadily declined in recent decades is seldom seen in news broadcasts. Positive development takes place slowly, often over a long period of time. Max Rosa has pointed out that we could have had this headline on the front page of every newspaper, every day, since 1990. Yesterday, 137,000 people left extreme poverty. Instead, it has not been a front-page headline in any newspaper, ever. Of course, the newspapers should not have this as the main headline every day, but through their reporting, you should get the feeling and knowledge that things are moving in the right direction. For that to happen, much more is required than the occasional article. Neither negative nor positive perceptions are created by a single news report. I know that from my background in politics. To get a message out, you have to repeat it many times. When you are really, really tired of it, it will have just started to take root among voters. I'm not claiming that the media never reports positive news there is actually a lot of optimistic news out there. The problem is that such news doesn't spread very much into other media. At the Warp Institute, where I'm executive chairman, we have published one positive news item every day for over two years, amounting now to over 800 fact-based optimistic news items. We find the stories in media from around the world. When we started out, we were worried that we would not find enough news But that has not been a problem. We create some of it ourselves by reporting statistics from Max Rosa or Hans Rosling, but most of it is found in the media. If a newspaper writes that the coral reef has started to recover, few or no other media pick it up. Negative news seems to have a wider spread. Is it really reasonable to blame this on the media? Don't they just report what we want to read? If we click more on negative headlines than on positive ones, they will write more negative articles than positive ones. There is something in this argument, but it is not the whole truth. Some people in journalism believe that it is their role to be critical. I believe, of course, that the media should report negative news about crime, war and starvation. They should investigate corruption, abuse of power and wastes of taxpayer money but that doesn't mean they can't report positive developments with the same enthusiasm. Why should the role of journalism be to just examine the negative, but not the positive? Of course, there are plenty of examples of very good, positive journalism. But, as I said, the balance is skewed. Also, it is not necessarily true that negative headlines are better for business. The Swedish newspaper Dagens Nyheter believes that people did not want to read long articles online. They wrote some anyway because some people enjoy them and they thought it was part of their role as journalists to write in-depth articles. The internet gave them the opportunity to measure not just how many people clicked on these pieces, but how much time each reader spent reading them and how many became subscribers afterwards. It turned out, that these longer, more in-depth articles produced the most new subscribers. In other words, it is not at all certain that the media knows what its audience wants. My belief is that people generally subscribe to the media which give them tough, critical journalism, while at the same time showing positive trends and exciting developments in society. Closing the morning newspaper after reading it and not wanting to shoot yourself or anyone else should be good for business. One person who has reacted against how the media works is the Dutchman Rob Weinberg. In 2010, he was only 28 years old, but had already managed to write two books and was editor-in-chief of the morning edition of Holland's leading daily newspaper, NRC Handelsblad. He raised the magazine to new heights, but his bosses got more than they had asked for. Weinberg increased both the number of subscribers and readers, but at the same time, he began to reshape what the magazine reported. Away from the sensational, away from traditional news, he focused on what really affects our lives. New instead of news, he says of his approach. That was not what the NRC executives wanted, and he was fired in September 2012. The decision made some readers so angry that they cancelled their subscriptions. If they got so angry, maybe they were open to something new, Weinberg thought, and he began to construct a whole new kind of magazine, without ads and without subscribers. Instead of subscribers, they would have members. After a successful fundraising campaign, they received $1.7 million to start the magazine. In 2018, The Correspondent had over 50,000 members who paid 6 euros a month, or 60 euros per year. It is only available online. In 2018, they went ahead and started a new crowdfunding campaign to expand and launch a global version in English. In autumn 2019, $2.5 million later, they launched The Correspondent. In the campaign, they talked a lot about the new kind of journalism they wanted to help create. Their slogan and mission statement was Unbreaking News. News as we know it leaves us cynical, divided, and less informed. They write We are your antidote to the daily news grind. News is mostly about what happens today, but rarely about what happens every day. It covers the most sensational exceptions, leaving you uninformed about the rules. We don't cover the weather. We cover the climate, informing you about how the world really works. We don't just cover the problem, but also what can be done about it. Consuming a lot of news can make you feel cynical and powerless. The Correspondent aims to counteract this effect by searching for common ground between different people and by giving as much attention to solutions as we do to problems. We call this constructive journalism, not to be mistaken for good news. The great thing about the world we live in is that we have more opportunities than ever to influence it. In my opinion, the media works poorly in some senses, but I don't just have to accept that. We can do as Rob Weinberg, use the collective ability to raise capital and launch what we think is the right way to conduct journalism. If one does not want to devote one's life to it, one can become a member of his creation. But we also have an opportunity every day on social media. Media is no longer just the big media houses. All of us have a stake in media. We need to help the spread of positive news, while contributing to changes in traditional media. The problem with a negative bias in the media is not only that the reflection of the world becomes unbalanced, The problem is bigger than that, depending on how our brains work.